to remind you, there is the, the handout with uh, all that scripture. I would, you know, feel free if you didn't get one going in to slip out and real quick and grab one. They're out in the, the hallway. But as I thought about this passage, I, I, there's a certain commercial I keep seeing, and I don't, I don't know if I've seen it on the internet. Maybe you've seen it as well. Uh, it's about the a commercial about uh, these people who are becoming like their parents, and it's sort of making fun of how they're struggling to deal with things and, you know, changing things and technology in a modern age and different social cues. And so it'll, it's a progressive commercial and it's, it plays the sad music, like, oh, those poor people, they're becoming just like their parents. And like one of the lines is that the guy's trying to help them get past this. He says, you don't need to print the internet, you know, little things like that, that are, are, are a struggle. And, uh, and so when I see this, I think, I don't like these commercials. Um, there's just a little too, too much to them. And, and the more I think about it, the more I, I, I am becoming like my parents. Maybe you've experienced that. But is that all bad? You know, aren't there some good things? So in my family, we would go on family vacations, even, you know, if we didn't have a lot of money to spend, we still were going to do a family vacation. And, and a couple times, we went to places like this. We went out west, and we did the long road trip out west. So I have been determined to take my kids to see the Grand Canyon and some of those places. Well, at some point this summer, the Reed family is going out west. And what I've learned from my parents is you got to have one of these, so if you're under 30, this is called a triptych. Basically, I have printed the internet. Um, you know, I realize your phone will tell you where to go and all the things you need to know, but no, in my mind, you have to have this because it'll be a page for each like 100 miles you travel and you can follow along to your whole trip and you go to AAA and they will print this for you. Now, they, they're printing it off the internet. They, they used to have actual like things they put together. And, but anyways, so I still think there's some lessons from our parents that are worth learning. Can you think of one... You don't have to say it out loud, but just think in your mind, is there something, some aspect that you picked up from your parents, like, I'm glad I do that the way my parents did, um, even though the rest of society is moving on? We're transitioning in our scripture. The, the sermon series is about Elijah, and, and Elijah has mainly dealt with King Ahab up to this point. And you'll notice we went from 1 Kings to 2 Kings. The transition comes because Ahab has died. And now his son Ahaziah is the new king. Elijah has outlasted his, his, uh, his nemesis Ahab. And now uh, Ahaziah is the king. And well, the question is, what did he learn from his father? Did he learn the same right lessons? And we're going to see... He did not learn what was good from his father. Um, Ahaziah has an accident. He falls through the lattice of his window. I'm, I'm picturing this like he's leaning on a lattice and falls, it breaks and he falls through it out, you know, 
onto the stones below. He's gravely injured. He's not sure he will recover, so he's lying on his bed. And, and it's, it's a question mark. Will he recover? And so the thing is, there's good news. He is the king of Israel, and Israel is in covenant with God. Israel had been chosen by God to be his people, and God wants to, to bless Israel and through them to bless the nations. And so as king, he could rightfully turn to God and seek healing. And he would, to, to do that, he would approach one of the prophets of the Lord, of Yahweh the Lord, who would then intercede before God on behalf of the king. And likely that God would answer and, and maybe heal his, his, the king of Israel. But Ahaz goes a different way. Instead of turning to the Lord, even though Israel is the Lord's people, he turns to a foreign god, the god of Ekron which is the Philistines. And he specifically turns to what say Baal Zebub. Now, you may remember, we've been talking about Baal. Baal is, is a god of the Middle East. And up till now, it had been Baal amongst the Phoenicians. Now, Ekron is actually a Philistine city. And so they have a version of Baal as well. They add a little title like Baal Zebub. So it's the same God, but in, in different cities, they would take on these different monikers. And here's how I think of it. You have the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, but you also have the uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man and the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. They're all Spider-Man, but there's different little versions of them, and they're all just a little different. So if that relates to you at all, take it. If not, forget it. So anyway, that's sort of what we have with Baal. Among the Philistines is Baal Zebub. And so Ahaziah sends messengers to this foreign city to, to get, see if Baal can do anything for him. And it's like Ahaziah doesn't even know the Lord, right? He doesn't know the, the things, the basic knowledge. And I wonder, because Ahab knew, Ahab, his father, knew about Yahweh. He didn't follow the Lord very well. And, and kind of ignored Yahweh the Lord, but at least he knew about him. But it, it's like Isaiah's even taken it a step further. He doesn't even know the basics. And I do want to challenge fathers to think about, you know, what are your kids going to learn about their, their faith in the Lord, their faith in things from you? And your kids will pick up on, on you. In fact, they may even take it further. And I think it's vital as fathers, especially. There's something about fathers that, that kids seem to pick up and, and encourage you to stay true to God in your life um, for that reason alone. So Ahaziah seems to know very little, and, and he sends these messengers out. And so now God intervenes through Elijah. That, so the angel of the Lord goes to Elijah and tells him to go meet these messengers on their way to Ekron. And, and ask him this. It says, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? It's like God is astonished. It says that three times in the, in the text. Is, is it because there's no God in Israel? It's like God is saying, why, why aren't you coming to me? 
I'm the God of Israel. Why aren't, you know, what am I, chopped liver? You know, like, like they just, it's like, what's going on? Why aren't you approaching me? And, and God's astonished. Could it be God is ready and willing to heal Ahaziah if only Ahaziah would turn to him? But he goes elsewhere. And what is worse, he goes to Baal Zebub, God's opponent, right? Baal becomes kind of the main opponent of God. And, and if you go on, Baal Zebub actually becomes synonymous with the devil. And, and you know, at this point, it's not that, it's just a false god. But a, as it begins to develop, they, they start to think of Baal Zebub as one of, of Satan's minions, you know, fellow demons. And so it's like, instead of going to me, you go to my enemy. And that's, in a sense, how God is looking at this. So Elijah goes to meet the messengers and, and conveys God's message. It's interesting to note, Elijah does not meet directly with the king at this point. He, he works through the messengers that Ahaziah had sent. Now, why is that? Well, it could be because, you know, Ahaziah's father and mother had this habit of putting the prophets of the Lord to death. You know, so it may not be safe for, for Elijah to walk into the, 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 the palace of Ahaziah. So he, he goes to the messengers. The messengers then return to the king, who, since they don't have to go all the way to Ekron, they're back fairly quickly. And he says, well, that was quick. Well, you know, what are you doing back here already? And they say, well, we met this guy, and, and he told us this message about, you know, why, why are you going to Ekron? And, and the king's like, what does this guy look like? Who, you know, tell me about him. And so they, you know, they describe him. He made his clothes made of animal hair and skins. He's, he was kind of weird, you know, and like, ah, oh, I know who that is. That must be Elijah. So Ahaziah learned a few things from his father. He did learn about Elijah and one of the last things Ahab said to Elijah, he says, have you found me, O my enemy? So he picked, uh, Ahaziah has picked up that Elijah is the enemy on the wrong side. And that's the attitude with which Ahaziah is approaching this prophet of the Lord. And so he sends for, he sends a company of 50 soldiers, 50 men with the captain as their leader to go, go get our Elijah, to arrest Elijah. That's what's happening. When you send 50 soldiers, the purpose is to arrest him. 50? Like he's taking no chances. Um, and they go to Elijah and say, the king says, come down from your little mountaintop. He wants to talk to you. What's happening is Ahaziah is trying to assert power, authority over the Lord. It's not just Elijah. Elijah represents the Lord. And so Ahaziah is trying to say, I have authority. I get to call the shots, right? He's trying to assert authority even over God. And so Elijah responds in like kind. And he says, you call me a man of God? Well, if I am a man of God, let fire come down. 50 dead soldiers. Yikes, Right? Ahaziah, not to be deterred, sends more soldiers. Go get that guy. Fifty more. You, go. And, and they go, and actually it heightens the command. It says, the king orders you to come down at once. Pshhh. 
another 50 soldiers. Let's pause for a minute. Could this be why the God of the Old Testament gets a bit of a reputation? You know, it's kind of like as being full of wrath and stuff. You know, the whole, like God, God smites people. Um, imagine you, you were hired like Elijah. And, and, you know, the reputation is bad. Let's try to, you know, improve that. And so you go, so, so, so Mr. Elijah is it. And, and your occupation is pr- prophet of the Lord. Okay, got that. Um, so let's clarify what happened, Mr. Elijah. So the king wanted to speak with you and sent soldiers to escort you to the palace. So, so what did you do them? Did you thank them for their service? No? Okay. So you, you called down fire from heaven? Was anyone hurt? Oh, my. Um, so, some of the soldiers, all of the soldiers, all 50 were killed, burnt to a crisp. Oh, let's, let's see. So, so then, then what happened? Um, so another 50 soldiers come. Did you go with them this time? No, more fire from heaven. Hmm. Let me guess another dead 50 soldiers. Like, like that would be a pretty hard job to be the PR agent for, uh, Elijah. Why does God take this route? What's going on? Why was this necessary? First of all, God is protecting his prophet. Elijah is rightly afraid that if he goes with the soldiers, if God allows the soldiers to arrest Elijah, he will be dead. It is not an unreasonable fear because that's what was happening before Elijah, before um, um, in the past. And so God stands behind his prophet. He protects him, even if it means doing something this drastic. What would it say about God if he didn't protect Elijah at this point? Second thing going on is God is asserting his authority over Israel. Ahaziah is trying to dictate to the Lord, right? And God will not be dictated to. Ahaziah as king serves under God. And God is going to demonstrate in a very clear way that he is the one who has the rightful authority amongst his people in Israel. I don't think you get a more clear statement than fire from heaven of who's in charge. The third thing going on is God is fighting for his people. At issue is whether Israel will be with the Lord or whether they will be with Baal. And that fight had been going on, that war between this has been going on, and God is not willing to give his people over to to the God of Baal. He's going to fight for them. Ahaziah believes he can use his soldiers to win this war, and he's willing to expend them. But make no mistake, there is a war going on, even behind the scenes. And so the Lord does not want to destroy. He wants to give life and blessings. But this became necessary in this time of war. I think the harshness that God shows in this demonstrates a a truth that's, that's still for us. We don't dictate terms to God. We don't come to God and tell him how things are. You see, in our modern age, 
this is why I think this is tough for modern people. We believe God owes us an explanation for why things are going wrong in this world. We insist. We, we know better, right? If we were in charge, we could make things right. And, and so we feel like we're able to sit as judge over God and why he allows things to be as they are. We measure God by our standard. May I suggest that if we approach God with that mindset, we can never know him. It will shut us off from knowing the God who loves us. We will be unable to see his righteousness and we will be blocked from receiving his grace. Now, I, I tell you, I, we, we may not always know or understand exactly why God does what he does. But can we say, I believe God knows what he's doing, even if I don't understand it. So having said that, I also want to say that we are not necessarily called to follow Elijah's example on this. Even though we sang it, these are not quite the days of Elijah, right? We are, we are not told to call down fire upon those who oppose us, our enemies. And in fact, the scriptures make that clear. Two of Jesus' disciples want to follow his example. In Luke 9, 54, um, in Luke 9, the, Jesus is about ready to enter a town of the Samaritans, the same exact area that this happened here. And the Samaritan village says, we don't want Jesus to come there. And so James and John get all worked up. And they, say, they go to Jesus and says, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Like, we want to go all Elijah on, on this village, right? Let's do it. And Jesus says, no, we're not going to go that route. Guys, I, I, hear where you're, I hear where you're coming from. And instead, Jesus consistently taught a different way, right? First of all, he said, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And if you go someplace and they don't want to hear, it's okay. Just wipe the dust off your sandals and go to the next place to find someone who is willing to hear. And, and when someone opposes you or is your enemy, love them. Bless them. Respond to persecution as blessing. And this has just been on my mind this week because maybe like you, you, you notice the big news of Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court, and I, I am pro-life. I believe God forms life in the womb, and I celebrate the decision as a good thing, but I, I just was on Facebook the other day, and I see a lot of people who think it's the end of America, and it's a horrible thing, and they say a lot of things, and my temptation is to get on there and argue, and I'm like, the, the word God gave me today is... Um, has to do with being quick to listen, but then it goes on and says, the man's anger does not lead to the righteousness of God. And so, yes, there, there's many, the world may be angry today, and they may be directing that anger at Christians who tend to be pro-life, but we, we don't respond back in that anger. We do not call fire down on our enemies. We, we teach Jesus, and we pray that they would have ears to hear and understand. Moving on. 
the third captain learned something. <laughs> Gotta love this guy. Like, he saw what happened to the first two. It's like, okay, wait a second. You're sending me now? And so he's going to show how, the right way to approach a prophet of the Lord. And, and so Ahaziah is determined he's going to get his way and, and get Elijah to show up before him. And so this captain comes and, uh, and, and it says he entreated Elijah. He, he falls down on his knees. He, he comes with a whole different attitude. There's no ordering and demanding. He says, oh, man of God. Please, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Um, you know, fire came down and assumed the guys before me. Please don't do that. And uh, he comes in humility and approaches God in, in just a whole different respect. And, and I, I think about, and of course, God does spare him. And I think of Jesus said in Mark 10, 15, he says, you know, it's talking about coming into the kingdom of God. It says, I, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, that when we approach God and entering into his kingdom, if we come in with demands and we insist on our way and our things, it doesn't work. But if we come as a child and ready to receive and trust in God, that's the way we get into the, the... The other question this raises with me, and I want you to think about it, because is it possible that in, in this conflict with the king and Elijah in his life, having, in his ministry, having so much of a conflict orientation that Elijah has a bit of a blind spot for the people caught in the middle. You know, here is this captain saying, hey, think about these 50 men, right? Think about them. They didn't decide to do this. And, and I wonder, it, you know, you may have heard the, the phrase, the, uh, wartime, consigli- cons- I can't say the word, consigliere, right? From the Godfather, like, Elijah is on battle mode, and because of that, maybe he has a bit of a blind spot for these, these people who are trapped in the middle. And what I note is the Lord does see them. And so the Lord does intervene in this case. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, Elijah, it's okay. You can go with them. I'll make sure, I'll make sure it's okay. You do not need to fear. Showing that Elijah's fear may not have been unjustified. And so Elijah does go. He goes and sees Ahaziah face to face, which is what Ahaziah was demanding. And he delivers the bad news. You will not recover. The Lord has spoken and you will die in your bed and you will die without having children to to pass on to this. And it leads me to another question. Could it have gone otherwise? Could Ahaziah, even at that point, have repented? Or was it too late? And if you were here last week, you know, we talked about how God issued a judgment to Ahab, and Ahab repented. As evil as Ahab was, as messed up as he was, Ahab heard the judgment of God, humbled himself, and repented And God 
yet forgave and, and mitigated the judgment upon Ahab. Could Ahaziah have done the same? It was just his pride that kept him from doing so. It was his, his insistence on not seeking God, but on going his own way that led him to face what he did. And that leads me to the point I really want to close on. And it, it's this line that, that kept coming up. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to these foreign gods? That God was ready and willing to respond and heal and forgive and set things right, but they refused to turn to him. Is it possible that the same dynamic happens in our modern world? That it is not that God is unwilling to forgive people and bring restoration, but that people choose to seek in a different direction. They refuse to turn to him and go in a different way. And I have a parable, a Mitch parable, that I want to share to kind of highlight that. And uh, so there was a guy named Ozzy, who, um, a certain man named Ozzy, who loved to work in his garden, in his backyard. And while working one day, he um, felt a sharp pain in, in his, his leg and looked down and there was this multicolored snake who had just bit him. He's like, ouch, and he, he, it hurts, and he yells out. And then one of his, his neighbor's friends, uh, Eli, comes and hears him yelling and comes over and sees the snake, and Eli takes a shovel and chops off the head. And, and then he says, oh, man, he looks closer at the snake and says, Ozzy, this, this is a poisonous snake. In fact, it's a very poisonous snake, and, and the, the venom is fatal. It's, it's a slow-acting venom that, that kills within a day. And, uh, and said, oh, man, and what do I do? So Ozzy's thrown off. He says, well, there is good news. Because just a few doors down, there's a guy in the neighborhood I know. Um, his name is Joshua. And he is the former, foremost expert in the world on poisonous snakes. He spent years in remote villages developing cures for these kind of snakes. I've, I talked to him, I've, and, and so I, I've, I know he said he has the anti-venom in his house. I says, oh, Ozzy says, well, I've heard about that guy. Um, yeah, a lot of people say he's a jerk. And, um, you know, I met him once, and I, I, I didn't really like him or anything. And, oh, I remember my dad hated that guy. So I don't know if I want to go and go to him for help. I know what I'll do. I will consult Google. So, see, let's take a picture of the, that snake. And so Google, what do I do, you know, because of this? Well, pour vinegar on it. That, that'll do. Okay, try pouring vinegar. So that, that didn't seem to do much. Well, it says take vitamin B supplements. That will help. No, that's, that's not working. Um, you know, maybe I, may, another, another site says to meditate and just, just meditate and decide in your mind that it's, it's not, not poisonous. And so Eli says, none of these things are working. Maybe you really need to go see Joshua. Um, what, if, what if I walked with you? 
down to see Joshua to, to get the cure. Will Ozzie go? All people have been bitten by the serpent. Right? All people have, have heard the word that, that the serpent gave in the garden of saying, you don't really need to do what God says. The, you, can, you don't need to fear what God had said. You can go your own way. Look how pleasing this is. And we've all decided at some point, yeah, I, I, can, I can make this decision for myself. I don't need to answer to God. In other words, we have all sinned. And rightfully, we have that, that venom in, in our inner being. Right? And it's a venom that is a slow-acting poison. And when we experience the brokenness and hurt in our life, it's actually a sign that that venom is at work. And the good news is there is an expert, one who, who gave his life to develop the cure, one who is, stands ready to give the cure to any who would receive it. And it's not he that's withholding the anti-venom, but it's that people seek the cure elsewhere. They oftentimes know something is wrong, but they're just not willing to go to, to our Lord, to Jesus, to Joshua, to be the one who would receive the cure. They're, they're not willing to approach God, or if they do, they come trying to demanding or negotiating rather than coming as a child to trust that maybe God has an answer for what they're looking for. And I think we're in the spot of Eli. We who've come to believe that Jesus really does have the answer. That when we trust in him, in his word, that he can bring a healing into our life. A healing that leads us to, to life everlasting in Christ's name. And we want to help our friend get to that point where they're able to seek the cure in Christ. What messages or reasons have you heard from people as to why they just are not willing to turn to God or turn to the Lord Jesus for help in their life? Have you, can you think about times people said, well, I don't, I don't want to go that way. Can you think of the reasons? Can, can you consider how is it that we can help people overcome that? And it may be what, where they're at, but how can we be the friend Eli that helps people come to, to see that we don't need to be afraid of Jesus, that he really does have the answers we're looking for. Let's pray that God shows us how to be that kind of person, that kind of servant. Father, I thank you for the, the life of Elijah and how you used him. And I pray you just help us learn what it means to, to serve you in a world that sometimes turns against you, and it's even hostile to the message. Lord, help us learn how to be the kind of person that can, that can gently and graciously point people to the answer, even as we deal with um, opposition and hostility. Lord, give us grace that we can have those conversations, and we can show the love of Christ even in difficult, difficult scenarios. And we ask that you would use us and fill us that we might be your servants in the world, servants who bear the good news. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, let's stand and sing our closing song, Whom Shall I Fear, as we praise the one who reigns forever.